Welcome to Your Brain On by Salience Learning. I'm Krista Gerhard. And I'm Karen Foster. Today, we are super honored and excited to have a very important, popular, and insightful person on our podcast today, Julie Dirksen. Uh, she's the author of Design for How People Learn. And uh, I'm a little bit uh, of a fangirl, I have to say. And it's almost surreal to be here and, and so excited to, to be talking with you and, and hearing some of your thoughts today. Because... I personally, when I started in this in this world, uh, this was the first book I bought. So uh, this book was uh, truly uh, formative and uh, so well written, and truly a an example of what good looks like from an instructional standpoint. Funny pictures, fun anecdotes, fun stories. So, so I'm really honored to chat with you today and to get to know you a little bit uh, deeper and more personally. And so, so that's a little bit of sort of my journey. But why don't you tell our listeners? who may not be as familiar with you, uh, a little bit about you. Uh, great. Well, first of all, happy to be here. Delighted to get the chance to talk about it today. Um, and it's very, it's really lovely to hear that the, the book worked like that for you because that really was the intention. And um, there have been other things I've done in my career where I'm like, well, I meant this, but it doesn't seem to be landing. And so whenever I hear that the, the book worked that way, it's really great. Um, because I think so many people's journey in learning and development comes from things like domain expertise, like, hey, you're a good customer service rep. We're going to let you train the other customer service reps or, hey, you're a smart person who can write well, we're going to let you write training content or, you know, whatever those things might be. And um, when I was first kind of conceiving the book, it really seemed like there wasn't a good sort of first book for people. Um, other fields have it. So if you want to learn about user experience, the first book is Don't Make Me Think by Steve Krug. Or if you want to learn about graphic design, there's like the non-designers design book, which is a great book. And there's a few others that'll, that'll do that too. But I felt like learning and development, we had so many people coming to it through, they knew their topic really well, but they didn't necessarily know how to talk about it or communicate it or design learning for it. And so the goal was to give people kind of enough foundation in some of these ideas so that you could make good judgments about you know, other kinds of learning design as you went forward and things like that. So every time somebody says that, that it worked like that for them, it's, it's, it's really quite a thrill because that's what you meant by it. But you know, um, mm -hmm. when it actually, when it actually works out, it's really great. Oh, well, it, it truly did. And, and it definitely is, is such a nice way to, to welcome people into a world where, to, true to your point, most of them are domain experts. And for salience learning, um, you know, that's exactly what we've seen in, in the pharmaceutical and biotech industry in the sense that those individuals that are very successful at marketing their product, um, communicating with stakeholders, engaging with customers, uh, helping more patients. Those are the individuals that are earmarked and brought in house to then train and teach and, and help others learn sort of all their guilt, skills and gifts. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we do see, unfortunately, happen is, is very much of what you describe in your book that, you know, this sort of very, you know, tell rather than show, uh, as you, mm -hmm. you, you reference in, in your book, uh, you know, lots of, lots of, lots of, lots of telling and, uh, less of the actual in, in design of learning and adult learning and, and so on and so forth. So what have you been doing since? Cause this, this particular edition I know was published in 2012, but then I know you've done an, an a next edition. What, mm -hmm. what sort of is, is in, 
is your world look like these days? Yeah, the second edition came out in 2015, and I added a chapter about social learning, um, which I feel like I've really been learning about for like the last 10 years. Um, and, and my understanding of that kind of got expanded quite a bit once I got involved in the learning development community on Twitter and some other platforms. And now I have a Facebook group. And so I'm really interested in this problem of community management because communities don't just happen, right? Like you don't just set up the message board and then all of a sudden you have, boom, you have community. And so I think that that's a, a skill area that's very different that I'm still learning about. Um, and uh, so there was a chapter on social learning. There was a chapter I added on habits. I broke out as its own thing because I think that there's interesting science happening in that area and trying to figure out how different does the learning experience need to be to really support habit development. Um, so you can't just tell people to have a habit, you know, it's that, that just doesn't work. I tried right. that with my kids and you're right. I know. I've told it to myself and it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, so habit development and I added a chapter on evaluation, which totally should have been in the first edition and we just ran out of time and pages and honestly was the, the real answer behind that one. Um, so, so it was really nice. I mean, the, the first book and the second book, I think a lot of the content is they touched up a little bit, but not radically changed, but the addition of those three new chapters was the main difference between those two editions. Um, and for me, I've really been kind of immersing myself in the behavior change space. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff that's been coming out again in the last 10 years around um, behavior change. A lot of it out of behavioral economics, which has been a hot topic for, you know, about a decade. Um, uh, you know, Dan Ariely and Cass Sunstein and Richard Thaler and, you know, um, Daniel Kahneman and all of those people wrote all these great books about um you know, all these interesting phenomena, cognitive biases and all these wacky human behavior things. And, um, and that's been an interesting kind of problem for me from a professional point of view, I think for my whole career, which is why don't people do the right things? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, when, particularly when they know better, right? Like, the reason that they're still smoking isn't because nobody's happened to mention to them that it's a bad idea. It's not a knowledge problem at this point. And so what are all of the other factors that come into play? And I, I'm not beating up on smokers. It's a really hard problem, but, um, but you know, what are the variables that really come into play when people have the knowledge, we, we accomplish that piece of it. And yet the behavior still isn't happening for some reason. Um, and a lot of times it's not about what they know. It's about the environments that they're in or the way that the rewards and incentive structures are set up or the way that their social network works and all of those kinds of things. And so being able to kind of really wrap that in, because I think we talk about learning and development, but I think we're really talking about behavior change. I mean, mm -hmm. occasionally... I will do something that is a hundred percent sort of not a hundred percent, but mostly knowledge, you know, a knowledge development topic, but the vast majority of the stuff that I work on is we actually want people to do something differently. And so what are all the variables that come into play for that? Yeah. You know, for, for, for us really that, that what you tagged on to last of behavior change and driving to a do and at salience, we, we, truly do when we come in to a project with learning and development and organizations, we always try to encourage, okay, what is the action, right? What is the observable action? Because then, uh, maybe in your journey, many stakeholders that you talk, we talk to, it, it 
you know, the first things that come out of, you know, their articulation of the need, right, is that people need to understand, right? If we just understand, and <laughs> I probably won't be able to quote the page exactly in your book, but um, I, I know that you do have a very funny vignette where you talk about how, okay, so we keep telling me, right? So keep yeah. telling me what does it look like and what does it mean to do something? So mm. so I guess I'd be interested to hear and to and just kind of to, to tee off from a bit of the content in your book and bridge to, you know, what you're working on now, what techniques are you are you looking at in terms of bringing more of that behavior change into, you know, learning and development, whether it's a workshop or curriculum dot design, or as you're saying, communities, because more and more organizations are looking to, you know, social learning and, and, and vehicles rather than just, you know, that one and done workshop. So how are you kind mm -hmm. of incorporating some of those behavioral uh, ideas? I'd be just interested. Yeah, it is an interesting problem because I mean, I, I would say that maybe like one of the two or three most solid bedrock pieces of the, of the learning science literature is space learning, right? Like the idea that you learn stuff over time and that reinforcing it is important. And yet we still have, you know, two day workshop come and, you know, we're just going to dip you in the content for a couple of days and send you back out. And so really like a move away from event-based learning, I think is a, is an important, you know, an important conversation to have. What's the progression over time. Um, when I look at the bigger picture behavior change, the model that's really influenced me in the last few years is, um, this one called combi, or it's also sometimes called the behavior change wheel, but it's Susan Mickey, who's a researcher out of university college, London. Um, they have a center for behavior change and she and her colleagues did, a did a massive kind of literature review around all the different little behavior change models that are popping up. So BJ Fogg or, you know, somebody like that has one. And then, you know, several other people have one and, um, behavioral economics had some stuff and all these kinds of things. And they said, well, you know, there should be a way to kind of bring this into a comprehensive model. And so they kind of incorporated everything, um, which, which means that some of it falls outside the, the purview of learning and development clearly. So it gets it like laws or regulations or incentives or punishments or, you know, things like that, that usually aren't within our control, but, but you need to look at that whole spectrum because I've had one of my favorites was a data entry for insurance applications was the training topic we were talking about. And they're like, could you say something about how important accuracy is? Cause they just don't seem to be like focusing on accuracy. And I said, okay, sure we can do that. Um, can you tell me like, how are they compensated? What's the, what's the feedback mechanism? And they're like, Oh, the number of applications they do per hour. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. yeah. And I'm like, do, do they get any feedback on their accuracy numbers? And they're like, no, I don't think they do. And it's like, well, you know, we can say that accuracy is important all you want, but as long as you're rewarding speed and not giving them any kind of feedback on accuracy, like that's not going to change the yeah. behavior. Um, yeah. And, and do you mind if I, I chime in only because it's, oh, yeah. it's fascinating and, and cause as I'm sure you've read some of Daniel Pink's work, I have to mm -hmm. imagine the same thing with respect to uh, the intrinsic, extrinsic motivators and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. So for the work that Salience does, you know, we're, t we're often engaging and training on what Daniel talks about in terms of, you know, the thinking economy, the knowledge economy, right? Whereas, mm -hmm. you know, from his information and research, he found that, you know, less extrinsic motivators work, right? Mm -hmm. It becomes more about right. mastery and, and, um, 
and so on and so forth. So I guess I'd be interested in hearing your perspective, you know, if for salience, we're talking, you know, training a, a particular senior executive, 20 year tenure in an organization, how to engage cross-functionally better, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's a bit more of that collaboration or sort of thinking right. skills. How do, mm-hmm. how would you take those sort of same similar uh, ideas in, in that, in that kind of domain? Yeah. And, and the Daniel Pink stuff is really heavily based on um, self-determination theory, which is uh, Desi and Ryan um, are the researchers on that one. And I've been using that quite a lot within the, um, so within this combi, I'll just mention briefly that it talks about competence. So does the person have like the physical ability, competence to do it? Do they have the psychological competence to do it? Does it, do they have the social opportunity? Can they see the behavior modeled? Is it supported within their social network? You know, things like that. Do they have the um, physical opportunity? Does the system set up to do it? So like, for example, hand washing compliance and healthcare went up significantly with the addition of alcohol-based hand rubs, right? To kind of you know, make it faster and easier to do that um, task. So that wasn't about motivation. That was about making the um, system or the environment work better. And then they look at motivation and they look at reflective motivation. So like goals and values and things I'm deliberately trying to do. And then they look at automatic motivation, which is all that unconscious stuff, right? And, you know, all those biases and habits and things like that. And, um, Within um, within the Daniel Pink stuff, the intrinsic extrinsic motivation and all of those kinds of things. It's interesting that the name of the company is Salience because actually one of I think the most important behavior change techniques that comes out of Combi is Salience of Consequences. I think. Every single behavior change problem has as its root uh, delayed or absent feedback. And I defy anybody. I'd, I'd love to hear an example of something where that doesn't come into play. I, I, I've not bumped into one yet. So if the behavior is I want to exercise more, um, if I exercise more and I don't really like exercise, let's just say that. And the answer to that is sometimes I don't. Um, <laughs> For all of us. Kind of a mix. Of yeah, us. right, right. <laughs> um, so you have to expend all this effort. And then the question comes of when do you start to see some benefit from that effort? And if you're waiting for some kind of physical thing that tells you you're getting healthier based on that exercise, you might wait six or eight weeks for that, right? If you're ex- and that's only if you're exercising with you know some a certain amount of intensity and consistency. Otherwise, it might be even longer, right? And so intellectually, I know that it's a good thing to do, but I don't actually feel it. Like I don't have a visceral kind of thing for a really long time. And so that's where some of the stuff like the exercise trackers or whatever kind of come in of trying to make getting some kind of reward, like you just did enough steps to climb the Eiffel Tower or, you know, something like that, trying to create something that'll give you the, that the same day that you expend the effort rather than weeks and weeks later after you expend the effort. And so almost every problem that I ever see has this issue of either the reward is delayed or it never shows up, or it shows up, but it's kind of intangible and hard to match up. Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Brain On by Salience Learning. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Karen Foster. And I'm Krista Gerhard. And we'll see you next time.